Amen. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer before you're seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, you went to the cross for us that we might know you as our Lord and Savior, and we'll ever be grateful for that. We lift up the name of Christ, which is above every other name. And so, Father, as we gather this evening to worship you, to praise you, and to get into your word, we pray that you would just be glorified in all of this. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord, but I pray that our hearts of worship would continue through the time of being in your word. And we pray, Father, also for just all that you're going to do tonight in our midst as you speak to our hearts and minds. And Father, we do pray and also lift up our snack night tonight following the service for the students that will be involved in that, Lord, for the time of fellowship and encouragement. And we pray that they would just grow closer one to another and encourage one another as well. Father, again, we thank you for all of this. Bless now. As we just get into your word and spend time before you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. You can be seated. So I do want to begin with just a couple of announcements, and then uh, we'll dive into the word tonight. So a couple of announcements to get started. Um, Just a reminder, uh, we do have next Sunday night, we have our fifth Sunday praise, and so we're doing something a little bit different. Yep, we're chasing kids around the church tonight. Next week, we're going to worship. So tonight's chasing kids. Next week is a fifth Sunday praise. So uh, so no, we're really excited for this. So we're going to do next week a little bit different. Um, a lot of music, a lot of worship together. Um, and then we're going to uh, just spend some time in testimony and praise and just lifting up the name of Christ together. And so that's going to be next Sunday night. Um, and so honestly, again, it's going to be a little bit different, just a lot of worship a lot of music, a lot of singing, so we're hoping you'll be a part of that. Um, also want to remind you about the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, the Bible um, collection and uh, uh, sending into, I guess I would say, uh, Bibles into Iran. So think about that, how you can be a part of that. World Life Award Ceremony next Sunday morning, don't forget about that. Uh, Mother's Day breakfast, men's prayer breakfast, all those things are coming up. Discovering Church Membership, um, again, April 30th, so next Sunday and the following Sunday are our two classes on that. If you're interested in that, definitely sign up for that. Um, and then obviously, again, as we already talked about tonight, the teens have their snack night, so we want to be praying for that to be a great time for them. So that's a lot of the announcements going on right now, um, but I do want to open it up. Does anyone have any questions or anything about any upcoming announcements? Questions about anything upcoming, any events or activities coming up, any questions on anything? Julie. So that was kind of um, up to that to the group, if that's what that group wants to do, yeah. Um, so I didn't know if it was 100% locked and that was the date, so that's why we haven't really announced it like publicly. If that is something that that group is okay doing that day, then what we can do is next Sunday, we can go ahead and kind of put it out there in the bulletin and see if that's something that wants to go on, so... Yep. Yeah, so we can, we can mention that next week as well. Yep. So May 6th would be the, the day of a, like a spring cleaning day. So if anyone's interested in coming out doing a little extra cleaning, um, our Forever Young group um, has kind of had that idea to kind of come out and, and do a little bit of extra cleaning and stuff. So if you're interested in that, uh, it could be getting up on a, um, a ladder or a scaffolding, doing some cleaning out of lights. It could be dusting things, windows, all kinds of stuff like that. So if you're interested, um, what we'll probably do is have some kind of a rough checklist of some things that can be worked on, uh, things that really, honestly, it's hard to get done during the week uh, with the weekly cleaning, which again is all volunteer. 
All of our building cleaning is done by volunteers, and so we greatly appreciate them. Um, and we're talking everything from in here to the bathrooms, vacuuming, all is done by volunteers. So we're thankful for that. But there are things that just are unable to get to, get, uh, got to, get to rather every single week. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, any other questions or anything about upcoming events? Yes. Yes. Nope. Yep. They're going to be here. Um, that is the uh, bombs, Ben and Jody Baum. They're going to be here uh, May, the last Sunday of May, Memorial Day weekend. Yep. So they'll be here in the morning service. And then on Father's Day, um, just because that's the Sunday that um, they're available, uh, we're scheduled to have Ben and Sarah Lair, who are missionaries to Poland. They'll be with us on that Sunday. Um, they're in Michigan, and that's the Sunday that he's got available. So so we'll have the bombs here on Memorial Day weekend and the layers here on Father's Day. All right. Any other questions or anything about any upcoming events or anything? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Nope. So the way we're doing that is because that's specifically through Voice of the Martyrs. The Voice of the Martyrs ministry website is handling all of that. So all we're kind of doing is just letting you guys know that's a need. So if you would like to do that, you would just go on their website and you would give it through the website that way. So nothing comes to the church. This is, we're just kind of letting you know, hey, this is an option to get some Bibles in some needed areas. So you would go on, uh, the website is just persecution.com slash Bibles for Iran. So pretty simple, but um, I can even text that to you later. So you got a little bit of a link to it, but that's the way to do it. And you can just give right through their website. So Avi, what's that? Yep, absolutely. Avi. Oh, they may. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. So, but if you go on that website, it'll actually show you to um, all the price point breakdowns, like so many, so much dollars, provides for so many Bibles and stuff like that. So good question. Any other questions about any upcoming events or activities, anything like that? All right. Well, we're going to dive into the word. So you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter four. So Luke chapter four. And uh, so normally um, we would be, we had a series that we did for a while and so we went through that um, with Fit Sunday Praise next Sunday night and not really having a, like a, as in-depth of a, uh, a Bible uh, teaching devotion time next week. Um, we're going to do a devotion, but it'll be a much shorter devotion. Um, not really having a series to be in. What we're doing last week and even this week um, is kind of more what I kind of call like one-weekers, like just kind of one week we're into something and kind of looking at some things. Um, so this is not a series through the book of Luke. We did that actually a couple of years back, a few years back. We went through the entire Gospel of Luke, um, kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, this is something more just looking at a passage that kind of jumped out to me in the last week in my own personal readings and just kind of some time I spent in uh, reading through Luke again. And so just going to kind of dive into that. Um, so we're not doing a series through Luke. I'm not really sure if, if you're thinking, well, what's the series we're going to do after Fifth Sunday Praise? I don't know yet. I'm so still praying about that. Um, but we're excited for what the Lord has for us this evening. So Luke chapter 4. And when I was kind of thinking about like a title for this message or something I could title this devotion, um, really all I could come up with is when Jesus is Jesus. That's, that's kind of what came to my mind. And hopefully as we go through the text, you'll kind of understand where that came from. Um, again, I want to take some time to look at a passage 
that has really kind of always uh, struck out to, or kind of stuck out to me uh, recently. It kind of has done so in my own readings. Um, but it really shows an example of how we as human beings uh, can change our view of Christ so quickly. That our view of Christ can change so fast. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look in verse 14. So Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 through 22 is where we're going to be. So as I like to do uh, on Wednesday evenings and Sunday evenings, I'd love to have a volunteer that if you'd like to read. Uh, you don't have to, obviously, but we'd love to open it up. So verses 14 through 22, if I have a volunteer who'd like to read that for us. Anyone want to read that for us? Avi? Awesome. Thank you so much. So 14 through 22, please. Okay, thank you so much. So here we see the people hear Jesus teaching, right? He, he reads the scripture, and then he kind of expounds on it. And as this is happening, what is the response of the audience? So Jesus reads the scripture, and he sits down, which was customary. to They, they would stand when they would read and then sit when they would teach. And so he sat down, and he gave his teaching of this text. And what is the response of the audience? There's a couple of things happening here, but what, if you had to even summarize, not even just necessarily specifically, but what are, what's the general feel of the audience? What's the general response from the audience? Okay, they were amazed. What else do we see here or get from this text? Okay, skeptical. Isn't this Joseph's son, right? We hear that a few times in Jesus' ministry. Right? Isn't this the son of Mary and Joseph? Don't we still know his brothers and sisters? And those kind of comments. So again, recognizing that, what can we kind of infer from, infer, wow, I'm struggling tonight. What can we in, in, infer, that was not coming out right. What can we infer from that um, comment? When people are like, oh, it's Joseph's son, or isn't that Joseph and Mary's son, or He's just, you know, his brothers and sisters, we know them. So what can we gather from that about his childhood, about his teenage years, his, his young 20s? What can we kind of gather from that? Sander? Relatively normal, right? Most likely, Jesus' childhood, apart from what we read in when he was 12 at the temple, but most of Jesus' childhood was a pretty normal childhood. Right? He's not performing miracles. He's not doing things that lead people when he's 15, 16, 17 to go, obviously this is the Messiah. Because as they're seeing and hearing these things start to happen, they're thinking, wait a minute. 
this is just Jesus. Like, this is just the guy that we all grew up with. We all know Jesus, and we all are familiar with Jesus. We're, we're used to him. So there's some skepticism. There's amazement. What else is kind of the response of the audience? So, yes. So, and we'll talk about it just in just a minute here, actually, about how they usually would do that. But, yes, there is, there is a recognition of honor there. There's something specific that he, they say about his, what was coming out of his mouth. What kind of words were coming out of his mouth? Gracious words. So they're like liking what they're hearing. They're enjoying what they're hearing, right? They're not being rebuked necessarily. They're not taking this to heart saying like, oh, he's mad at us. He's upset with us. These are gracious words. These are good words. And so here we see. That Jesus was chosen or asked to read the scripture. And as Chris is alluding to, um, it was common in a synagogue, especially in a smaller town, for a man to be chosen among the group to stand and read the scripture. Okay? And to give some kind of expounding on it or some kind of explanation. Uh, the only time that that wouldn't happen is if there was a rabbi who was visiting. So if a visiting rabbi came to that synagogue, they were kind of given precedent. They were kind of towns. They would just have a choose a man. In the, now, I do think it's kind of interesting that I don't know what you guys would do, but if we just showed up to church next Sunday morning and I just got up on the pulpit and I just went, mm, I choose Aaron. Aaron's going to get up and read our scripture for the day and he's going to expound on that for us this morning. So Aaron, come on up. And then he doesn't even get to look at it. What do they do? Here you go. Read from uh, Luke 4. Go ahead. And he's, okay, Luke 4, and then expound on it, right? I don't think that would go over in a lot of churches nowadays. I think you'd have a lot of people like, I'm not going back, okay? But here you see this is what happens. So Jesus gets up and he reads this text. Now, if you're taking notes and you want to jot this down, he's referencing Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. So he's referencing Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. So during Bible study, when you're reading a passage— and you see something like this, it's not the heart of the passage, not the whole point of the passage, but we can also stop and say, okay, this tells us something about Isaiah 61. So when Jesus stood and read this text, and then he says what? This has been fulfilled in your hearing or in your ears, like what I just read just happened in front of you. I'm the Messiah. This is about the Messiah. It's, it's happening right in front of you. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what does that tell us about Isaiah 61? Can we trust Isaiah 61 as scripture? So if we can trust Isaiah 61 as scripture, can we trust all of Isaiah as scripture? And do you see how in this little moment, just reading this little verse that Jesus quoted, it actually gives weight back to Isaiah as a prophet of God and as the word of God. That means other things that Isaiah says about the Messiah are also true. So do you see how in this little reference, Jesus is actually affirming Isaiah's prophecy, his ministry? And we see that all throughout Scripture. So whenever you see a Bible um, author or someone in Scripture, an apostle or a disciple or Jesus himself, reference back to another passage, just make a mental note of that to recognize Jesus is affirming this of Scripture, which then gives it weight, right, and value. This is, again, what, what does Jesus reference when he talks about marriage? When they said, hey, and they ask a question about divorce and marriage and remarriage and all of that, what does he reference as the baseline for marriage? 
Avi. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. He actually quotes directly, right? You leave your father and mother and cleave unto your bride and you become one flesh. So again, if we can say with Isaiah, that's what it affirms for us. What is Jesus affirming? That Adam and Eve were real people who really existed. That Genesis is not a figurative recording of some understanding of creation. It's a literal historical narrative that Jesus himself is quoting as a baseline, as historical fact. It's like he's saying, you as Jews, you all know this is true. You've all been taught this is true. So this is the baseline. So again, when you see those things, don't just go, oh, that's just Jesus talking about marriage. See the bigger picture. And actually, we were talking about it in the car on the way home because Anthony was going through a magazine. Um, It was a little dated. It was from 2011, I think you said. So answers in Genesis, right? And they were referencing different statistics about Christian schools at that time. And different uh, questions were asked about, do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the inspiration of scripture? And then they got to, do you believe in a literal creation? Are you for or against evolution? And just the the statistics of Christian students, number one, at Christian schools, like universities and colleges, Christian colleges and universities. But not only the students, which you can understand, maybe there's some unsaved kids going to Christian school. When I was at BBC, we had kids that would come forward and get saved at chapel. Um, So that happens. So I understand there's some discrepancies there, but presidents of some of these schools were pretty much on the right par with most of these questions, but teachers, professors, not really believing in a literal creation, kind of for evolution or believing evolution's okay. And so you see this and you think, man, these guys are not affirming scripture, but yet Jesus affirms all of Genesis in his own teaching. So that's kind of a side note, but again, we need to note this reference to Isaiah 61. So this is a text that is clearly interpreted to be about the Messiah. So they they know this is a text about Messiah. They pondered how what they just heard could be true, considering this man to be, quote, Joseph's son. So how could Jesus be ushering in the acceptable year of the Lord when he's just a man? He's just Jesus. We all know Jesus. Now, that phrase, acceptable year of the Lord... This actually is in reference to what would also be called the year of Jubilee. And if you're taking notes, you can jot down Leviticus 25. Now, literally, this was something that would happen in Israel's history. They would do this often. But I believe, and many believe, that what Jesus was saying, and what Isaiah was saying, is that he was going to be ushering in through his ministry, in essence, a time of restoration and rest. That's really what the year of Jubilee is kind of principally about restoration and rest. Let things rest and restore those relationships, restore those things that need to be restored. And so when Jesus quotes Isaiah, many believe what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to, through my ministry, which is culminated in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to usher in a spiritual year of Jubilee where through Christ, you can have rest and restoration. You can be restored and have that rest. Now, rest doesn't mean In this case, inactivity, although there is a level of rest, literal rest we find in Christ. But also I think that rest is peace and comfort that we have in Christ through the Spirit. So again, he reads this, and the attitude of the crowd that day in Nazareth was seemingly approving. That's what I want to point out. He reads all this, he says this, they seem to be approving of the message. 
right? Is that fair? Would you agree with that based on the text so far? They're skeptical. They're not sure, but they're not really like angry about it. They're not mad about it. They're like, okay, this is good. We like this gracious teaching we're hearing. Okay. We're, we're okay with this. But then, as I've said before, in my kind of title here, Jesus decided to be like Jesus. And he turned it around on him. Because this is what Jesus does. And it's a good thing. So the crowd seems to be accepting. They're approving of the message. And then Jesus, as he often would do, turned the teaching around to emphasize the heart of those in the synagogue. See, this is the difference between Jesus and, and honestly, pastors and, and church leaders today. If a pastor preached the message and the people were accepting of it and approving of it, and we're okay with this teaching, and we'll be back next week because we like this, they're good with that. Cool. I didn't say anything that caused you to want to leave or be offended. Awesome. Jesus seemingly, and I've said this before, he was so good at taking a very large crowd and making it a small crowd. Not because Jesus didn't love people, not because Jesus wanted to be antagonistic just to be antagonistic, not because Jesus was offensive to be offensive. But Jesus would constantly point people back to their hearts. What's really going on? You come near me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You look good on the outside, but inside is dead man's bones. So he was constantly bringing them back to the heart of the situation. And these religious people didn't want to do that. Even the religious crowd did not like the light. They preferred the darkness. Even the religious leaders didn't want their things and their sins exposed. So Luke 4, 23, verses 23 through 32. Time when I taught youth group that if you point at someone else, that means you're getting called on. So, mm. so that's a, okay. So that's a thing that you're used to. All right, cool. Good. Yeah. No, I won't make Melody read. If she want, if you want to, I would let you, but I'm not going to force you. I'll just use it. Are you good to read it? She's reading ahead. Like, are there any words in here I need to work on and pronounce? Yeah, keep going. All the way, if you, want, if you want to, it's all the way to verse 32. Yep.
Awesome. Thank you for doing that. So this is what I referred to in the beginning. We as human beings, we will turn, naturally speaking, we will turn on Jesus so fast. The second Jesus says something we don't like or does something we don't like or acts in some way that we don't understand, we are turning 180. We're going the opposite direction. And I just, it's amazing to me that this crowd went from these gracious words, well, this is amazing. We, we like this. We enjoy this to, as we're going to unpack in a little bit here, let's run them over to the side of the hill and throw them down the cliff. It's just insane to me how quickly this crowd turned. Now, it isn't surprising to us if we really read scripture and we know scripture and we know human history. Because what did they do? The Passion Week that we just studied. Oh, Hosanna. Hosanna. Praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We're so thankful you're here. We're going to cast our coats down and we're going to wave these palm branches and we're going to be so worshipful. And within six days, crucify him, crucify him. Because human nature is such that when you don't do what they want you to do, they'll turn on you. And so let's break this apart a little bit in this text. So in, in verses 23 through 32, we see that their faith is lacking because they're walking by sight. That little statement, isn't this just Joseph's son, that revealed the skepticism that Abi talked about, but also that they're basing their entire faith on what they see and what they can understand. But we know from later on in the New Testament, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And if faith was seen, it's no longer faith. So we walk by faith, we trust by faith. And so they didn't want to walk that way. They wanted proof. They wanted evidence. And so here we see the first thing that Jesus does in verse 23. You notice there he said unto them, you will surely say unto me. So he's saying, you really want to say this to me. So how does Jesus know that? Because he's God. He knows their heart, right? He's aware of what they're thinking. How many times in scripture does it say, and he understood what they were thinking in their hearts? Or they were saying this among themselves and Jesus would ask a question like, why do you say that? Or why are you thinking that? And so he quotes back to them a proverb that they really want to ask him or say to him. And that proverb is, physician, heal thyself. Now, this is not from the book of Proverbs. As far as we know, it's not recorded in our book of Proverbs, but rather more of a common saying that was known by the people. So this phrase, physician heal thyself, is a common saying that was kind of known among the people. The idea is most likely the people of Nazareth heard of the miraculous works that Jesus did in Capernaum. He, they hear about these wonderful things that Jesus is doing in the beginning of his ministry. And they are so excited because he's here. And so what are they thinking? Okay, go. <laughs> like, like, do the show. Let's see it. I want to I see the performance. But they wondered why, instead of doing that, he begins to kind of rebuke them. See, again, they want to see the performance. Why wasn't he doing the same things in his hometown that he's done other places? Why is he not giving us those blessings like he gave them? That phrase, physician, heal thyself, could also be translated as just do a miracle. Do a miracle. Perform. So then Jesus, they didn't even ask this or say this proverb, but Jesus, knowing their hearts, quotes it to them. Then Jesus responds to their proverb with another proverb. No prophet is accepted in his own country. Breeds contempt. 
too much for me. Come to my hometown breeds contempt. So what is Jesus saying? I come to my hometown and you're the skeptical ones. You're the ones that aren't walking by faith. You're the ones that want me to just perform and jump through hoops. But really, you should know me the best. Like you should be the first to want to believe and put your faith in me because you see who I am. You've watched me. But as human nature is, the more familiar we are with something, sometimes it can actually lead to distrust. This is why leading family members to Christ can be really, really difficult because they know you, Avi. Yes, yep. Exactly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And they should have known. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of what I was alluding to is that we can't say he did this miracle or this miraculous thing to prove his divinity, but his life, his character was above bar where he lived above reproach in everything he ever did. So exactly. They should have had some kind of a, at least a slight leaning towards something's different about Jesus, but their skepticism was based in purely what they saw or didn't see. Their jealousy is really what it is. We want to see greater things than what you did in Capernaum. Now, some have taken this passage and other gospels to say, well, it basically says that they didn't have faith, so Jesus couldn't do what he wanted to do. So therefore, their lack of faith limited Jesus's ability. And there are wordings in our translation that give us that impression, but that is not what happened here. It is not Jesus could not perform a miracle because they didn't have faith. And actually, in another text, it says that he still healed a few. So it's not that Jesus was unable to heal because, well, I want to, I really want to, but you guys aren't believing, so I can't. He is God. He acts and does and and works in spite of us, okay? Now, we do see examples where he says, your faith has made you whole. So he's rewarding people's faith by doing a work there and giving them part of that testimony. But my faith or lack of faith doesn't make God or keep God from doing something. What's the beautiful thing about that relationship is when I place faith in Christ and he does what he was going to already do, now I get to be a part of that blessing. I get to be a part of that testimony. So when Jesus says, I'm not healing here, I'm unable to in a sense, it's not that he couldn't, he chose not to. He chose not to work there as the people kind of left their faith in sight. He's not going to reward that, I guess I could say it that way, with these works. And so understand, it's not that he was unable to. He's still capable of doing whatever he wants to do. He chose to not work in that way, again, as he did in other places. Again, this is God's will working out in front of us. It's not because some people have twisted this. Well, if you don't have faith, then God can't work, and that's why God didn't work, and that's why your family member or whoever wasn't healed, because you didn't have faith. That is not what this teaches. There are so many times we'll pray in faith, believing and trusting, and the person's not healed this side of heaven. They're healed by being taken home. 
That's not, well, God wanted to work, but he couldn't because you didn't have enough faith. That's a weight you want to put on people when they're struggling with the loss of a loved one. How foolish. And so, again, we have to understand this. This is not saying Jesus was limited by the people. He chose to respond in a way that would best glorify God and bless others. And in this case, it was actually to point out the hardness of heart, which would, I believe, potentially draw them unto repentance instead of seeing a performance and going, yay, we like this. It's kind of how when Jesus would feed the masses and then later on he says, you guys are just here for more food. He did a miracle and they still didn't get it. So again, understand when you study this passage in other places, as far as other gospels, you may hear teaching like that. That is not what this is teaching. Jesus was completely capable of doing whatever he wanted to do, but he chose to work in the way that best glorified the Father and blessed others as far as that goes. So what does he do to point this out? So we see here, uh, in chapter 4, verse, uh, I turned two pages instead of one. Okay, so 24 is that, prof, or that proverb that he quotes back. Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So again, that's the familiarity. It actually breeds contempt. And then we see he actually quotes two Old Testament examples. So he quotes two Old Testament examples. Again, this is in the synagogue. This is with the religious crowd. Jesus refers to the two stories from the life of Elijah and Elisha. Again, very familiar to the people. Prophets that stand as the examples of miraculous works. And why does he quote these two prophets? I believe because these two prophets and their miraculous ministry parallels Jesus' miraculous ministries or ministry and the works that he does. So we see some comparison here as well. So the two examples he gives is from the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha. And what are the two examples of miracles that he refers to? The example of Elijah, what was that about? What's that? Okay, and what, out of that, what happened? Famine. And so what did God send Elijah to do? Mm -hmm. Right. So Elijah went to a widow that was actually a Syrian, so not of Israel, and provided a miracle to her, Right. And so Jesus references this. Now think about this. He's speaking to a Jewish synagogue in Israel. And he chooses the example from the ministry of Elijah of Jesus or of God ministering to a non-Israelite. Okay. What's the next example we read of in the Old Testament story? With Elisha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Naaman actually wasn't obedient at first, right? He was actually a little offended. He don't even come to the door. He don't even come greet me, right? But then those that were with them were like, maybe you should listen to this guy. I mean, you're a leper. What do you got to lose? So you, you get a little wet. Worst end of the deal, you just get wet, right? But uh, so he does. He finally obeys and he is healed. So again, but not an Israelite, right? Uh, Naaman was a Syrian. I'm sorry, not, not, yeah, the widow wasn't a Syrian. Naaman was a Syrian. Again, outside of Israel. Now, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The story of Elijah and the widow comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elisha and Naaman, that's 2 Kings 5. So 1 Kings 17 is Elijah and the widow. And Elisha and the leper comes from 2 Kings 5. Now, Jesus makes a couple points here. Were there any widows in Israel that needed a miracle of food during this famine? Sure. 
Were there lepers in Israel that needed a miracle of healing? Sure. So what was Jesus' point? Why would Jesus, specifically to this group, talk about these examples? Again, I believe the emphasis that Israel did not receive these miracles was pointed out because God showed grace to the Gentiles. That God showed grace to the Gentiles. Similarly, Jesus was using this to point out the lack of faith among those in Nazareth. Really, the majority of Israel, as we see in the rest of the Gospels, And that the Gentiles would receive the gospel. He was saying that Jews needed the same grace Gentiles needed. You guys aren't any better than the Gentiles. Here, let me give you two examples of God ministering to the Gentiles and not seemingly not ministering to the Israelites. This is all throughout the gospels. What is Jesus' favorite character to use as a hero of a story? Samaritan. Right? Or a tax collector. Like, these are the people Jesus like... I wonder what I could really say to rile up this crowd. I know, I'll make the hero a tax collector. Like, not Jesus doesn't think that way. I'm just saying, that's how it comes across. So here we see these individuals. And how do the people respond? Well, we'll get there in just a second. Because they lose their minds, right? Another thing you need to mention here, I need to point out here. These types of miracles by Elijah and Elisha were specifically are feeding the poor and the needy and the healing of a leper. Now, notice that he does not refer to the calling down of fire, right? Elijah calling down the fire. He does not refer to the bears attacking the mockers. He doesn't reference those examples. Rather, he refers to the miracles of mercy, to the miracles of mercy. So why would Jesus, in doing this, choose specifically to acknowledge the miracles of mercy and not these other calling down fire and the bears coming out. Why do you think Jesus would, would do that in this sense, in this case? Why refer just to the miracles of mercy? Yeah, Sam. Okay, to lift us up? Absolutely. Examples of encouragement? Yeah, Avi. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So kind of point out that they're not as entitled and favored as they believe they are, right? Still God's chosen people, but again, not entitled to the sense of God's only going to do gracious things among, gracious things among them, right? Why else might Jesus use these examples of the miracles of mercy versus the calling down of fire or the, the bears coming out and attacking the mockers? Julie. Okay. Right. Points out what you're lacking specifically. Okay. Uh, Keith. That was what? Okay. Common among the, that crowd that they understood those stories. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Terry? Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. 
Right. Yes. Yep. He, he just submitted under faith, even though his mind, his eyes were telling him something different. Okay. Yeah, Chris. Okay. 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 It's a good point. It's a good point. All good answers. All really good answers. I'll, I'll kind of tell you where, where my mind went with this. And really good thoughts. Some of the stuff I never even thought about, those takes on that. That's amazing. Um, You're in Luke. Let's just jump to Luke 9. I know we're almost out of time, but Luke 9. I want to give you just just another thought on this. So, Luke 9. Look at verse uh, 51. So, Luke 9, 51. Okay, so Luke 9. And 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So the people in the town did not receive Jesus. So Jesus is trying to set up arrangements to stay in this village in Samaria. But because he was so set, uh, set on going to Jerusalem, the people of that village said, no, we really don't want to have you here. Again, remember, Samaritans and Jews do not have good relationships, right? And again, this is the direct line to Jerusalem. Most Jews went around, but Jesus, as we see in John 4, I'm going through Samaria. So he sets this up. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, these would be the sons of Zebedee. So this is James uh, and John, John being the one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? So their response to this village not being welcoming to Jesus was, okay, let's just call down some fire and burn them up. Like that's a pretty harsh Yelp review, right? Like that's pretty crazy. So what does Jesus say? Listen to what it says in verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them, not the people in the village. His disciples. And he says this. You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man has come, uh, not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So why does Jesus in Luke 4 reference the mercies of the miracles of mercy from the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and not the calling down of fire and not the bears attacking the mockers because those two miracles, the healing of the leper and the feeding of the widow best symbolize the first coming of Christ. That symbolizes Jesus's whole point of coming being born of a virgin to seek and to save that which was lost. And we're going to talk about it in a second here. Actually the second coming of Christ mirrors the calling down of fire. And so what does he rebuke his disciples? You don't even know what you're talking about. That's not why I came. I didn't come in this time of coming to destroy men's lives in judgment, but to offer them forgiveness. 
Now, the second coming of Christ, we read, is a coming of judgment. So I believe Jesus emphasizes these two miracles of mercy from Elijah and Elisha because it best pictures the ministry of Christ on earth in the Gospels. To feed the poor, to come to the widows. Remember, what was the reference? Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, right? He says here, um, so Luke 4, uh, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. So then he references two examples in the Old Testament of doing that very same thing. The problem the crowd had was that it was to Gentiles, not Jews. That's what they got upset about. You're basically rebuking us. You're not doing what we want you to do. They should have heard that and went, man, we praise God that you've come because you are the Messiah, fulfilling the very same things that you said you would do. So what's the result of the crowd? Jesus is run out of town, quite literally. Luke 4.29, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the uh, brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. The people get angry when they realize what Jesus is saying. They disrupt the service. Think about this. This is happening in church. And they're just like, nope, nope. The whole crowd gets up and starts to literally surround Jesus and, and just grab him by the arms and grab him by the body and start pushing him and shoving him out the doors. Could you imagine? This is the Messiah. This is God. And they start treating him this way. Do you notice Jesus doesn't touch them and they fall down dead? Do you know Jesus had to think a thought and consume their very life? Jesus just says, away from me. And they literally, physically are pushed back by just his words. What does Jesus say to the garden, in the garden to the, to the soldiers that come to arrest him? I am. And they fall back on, their, on the ground. This is Jesus. And he lets them do this surround him and begin to push him to the edge of a hill for the purpose of throwing him down, to kill him. See, here we see recorded for us, the son receives his first insult. And it came from those in his own household, his own hometown. Again, Jesus' words came true. Jesus' words came true. Not accepted. There's no honor here to the point where you're willing to throw me off a cliff. The first time he's really physically assaulted, it's by his hometown. Notice, it's not by the Jews and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. It's in his hometown. Those that, as we alluded to, should have known. A quote from Augustine, I love this. Augustine said this, They love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. They love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. Notice as well where Jesus stopped reading. So Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, we referenced that. Jesus read that from the scroll, but he stops halfway through verse 2. He doesn't finish the text. Not because he didn't know the text. Obviously, he did know the text. But he stopped short of that middle part of the verse. So what does the rest of verse 2 read? And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. 
and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Again, I believe he referenced the miracles of mercy and he referenced, and obviously God's will is sovereign. He knew what he was doing. He stood up on the exact right Sabbath day to read the exact right passage. It wasn't coincidence that he happened to read from Isaiah 61. And the reason he stopped reading there was because this part of the passage fulfills, I believe, the second coming of Christ. And again, it's all interconnected. Those that reject Christ and reject the acceptable year of the Lord will find themselves in the day of vengeance. Or as Paul says in Romans 2, the day of wrath. Yet anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be granted eternal life and peace or rest with the Lord. It's amazing. Jesus, again, is orchestrating all of this perfectly. And the people are just either going to receive it or reject it. Verse 30, because we need to hurry. Verse 30. So they get him up to the edge of the cliff. They're getting ready to throw him off the cliff in verse 30. But he, passed, but he passing through the midst of them, went his way. That's like one of the coolest verses. But he, passing through the midst of them, he just walks through the crowd. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this could look like, what it could have been. Uh, did he make them unable to see him for that moment? Did he change his physical appearance to some way where he literally became invisible to them? Okay, there's all kinds of very interesting ideas on this. I don't know. What do you think? I have no idea what that looked like. All I do know is that Jesus made a decision that you're not going to push me off a cliff right now. And he passed through them and went on his way, which has always been amazing to me if you're in the crowd. Like, could you imagine you're like shoving him, shoving him, shoving him? Where'd he go? And he's just gone. Did you see him? I don't see him. Is he down there? He's not down there. Where'd he go? And again, at that point, what would you do? I think I'd start believing maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe there's something to this guy. But knowing human nature like we do, most of them probably just figured it was something else and went on about their day. So again, he moved through the crowd in a miraculous way. Why? Why disappear now and not in the garden when the soldiers came to arrest him? Pretty simple answer, but why, why does he disappear now and not then, Josiah? Yes, because his time wasn't ready, right? He wasn't supposed to die going off a cliff. He was going to die on the cross. And so why not disappear in the garden? Because that was the fulfilling of God's will, which he said, I will do, right? Voluntarily, I will do that. So the next thing we read, the last two verses here, verses 31 and 32, and then we'll open it up for any comments, questions, or thoughts, and then we'll close. And it came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. After this encounter, Jesus continues to minister and preach the gospel, to perform miraculous works and glorify the Father. His resolve to continue is amazing, because I think many of us would have quit after almost being run off a cliff. I think if you were a missionary and they tried to throw you off a cliff, you'd probably be like, mm, maybe I should have a different career choice. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But Jesus continues. Notice as well the difference in Capernaum. So you read in verse uh, 32, what was the response of the crowd there? Astonished, not at his miracles. Do you see the difference? Nazareth, hey, do tricks, perform, do stuff. 
We don't really care about what you say. Just do some things. He gets to Capernaum and he does miraculous works and teaches. And what do they really get consumed with? The teaching. Because the miracles of Christ always affirm the teaching of Christ. And again, if we don't believe the teachings of Christ, the miracles will never be enough. But not only verse 32, look at verses 40, uh, 43, I'm sorry, 42 through 44. So this is after some miraculous things have taken place. Verse 42, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came upon him and, sta- and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Why did he come? To preach the gospel. Verse uh, 44. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. So you got one group in Nazareth that want to run him off a cliff. Want nothing to do with you. What's the response in Capernaum? Amazed by his doctrine. Please don't leave. Please stay. Don't go. And what does he say? I have to go. Why do I have to go? Because I need to preach this message in other places. That should instantly draw our minds to Romans chapter 10. How will they believe unless a preacher preaches to them? And how will they preach unless they're sent? And so again, it's so connected to the rest of Scripture. In this passage, we see how quickly people can and do turn on Christ. One moment, they call his words gracious and want to see him work in their midst. And yet when Christ deals with our lack of faith or hard hearts, we turn on him and want nothing to do with him. As we've said before, Jesus is Lord. And we submit to his authority in our lives. If he moves in ways we don't understand, we don't turn on him and run him out of our lives. We worship and trust that he knows best. In this passage, just again, this last week, man, just jumped off the pages at me to see how amazing God is to deal specifically with what we need to hear, when we need to hear it. And we can either respond in anger and get upset and defensive, or we can receive it. And see that he's teaching with power. Why? Because he is the Messiah. This is his word. And we need to receive it as such. And when we do that, we're left in amazement. And when we surrender to that, we want to be around him all the time. We just want to be near Jesus. And we just can't get enough. But when we harden our hearts and we want to push him away, we're distant and we're walking away from him. We don't have that joy that we can have in Christ. And so I do want to open it up just quickly. Any comments, questions, or thoughts before we dismiss in prayer? Comments, questions, or thoughts? Avi. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, what got, I mean, this happened two weeks ago when another guy stood up and said something that, like, just run him out of town and throw him off a cliff? Like, yeah, how common was this, right? Yeah, yeah, was this a thing? Like, I couldn't imagine being a speaker somewhere and they're like, that's it. Let's go to the cliff. You're done. No, that's crazy. No, it's a good point, though. Like, obviously, this should have been, this should have been a, a hugely impactful moment. Because I'm going to guess that didn't happen a lot. Um, but again, when Jesus says those things, and I think about Stephen when he was preaching in Acts. And he, all of a sudden it says that they got, started getting hard-hearted and they just rushed on him to just silence him. They just wanted to keep him quiet because they were so convicted under sin. So absolutely. Any other comments, questions, or thoughts on our text tonight or what we've kind of looked at tonight? No? 
All right. I pray it's a blessing to you. Um, I hope this kind of drives you to get into God's word and to be around him and to be astonished at his teaching. I know we love when God works in our lives and he still does work, by the way. He still is a miracle working God. And I know we love those moments, but understand greater than his miracles is the word of God, the teaching of the doctrine, which instills in us such a faith in him to believe when we see the miracle and when we don't see the miracle, that's why we trust because he is who he says he is. So let's draw close to him And when he does something or says something or moves in some way we don't like, don't get defensive, receive it, and let him grow you through it. All right, let's pray. And we'll ask God to continue to be with us this evening. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for being exactly who you are. We ask, Lord, that as we go through this week ahead, Lord, if there's something in our life that you're working on or moving in, I pray that we would recognize you as Lord, that we would follow your leadership And Father, we thank you for just the mercy and grace that you gave to us. That coming as you did, Lord, humbly going to the cross for our sin. And Lord, we didn't deserve any of it. So Lord, thank you for that. But Lord, we know that there's coming a day when those who have received Christ will be ushered into heaven. But those who reject you. Lord, they are storing up for themselves wrath on that day. And Lord, I I can't imagine what that's going to be like. That day of vengeance. When you settle the books, Lord. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to go into our lives this week looking for opportunities to share Christ, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. Because Lord, you were consumed with preaching the gospel to those that needed to hear it. And I pray that we would have the same passion to see the need for people to come to Christ. Lord, sometimes it's easy to just stay in our comfort zone, to stay where we're kind of comfortable and convenient. But Lord, you showed us and modeled before us that we need to keep going, keep preaching, so that the gospel would go forth and others would come to know Christ. So Father, again, thank you for your word tonight. I pray that it's an encouragement to our hearts and minds as we desire to know you more. We love you, Lord. We ask again that you would just bless this evening. The students, as they have their snack night, Lord, and everything else going on, be with us on the roads as we travel home and bring us back Wednesday, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.